I wanted to begin tonight with something that's not the subject of my talk, but just something that's really in my heart. And just, it's an expression of my gratitude for your practice. I found it was so poignant for me today as I was sitting in interviews and people were coming in. I was just feeling so happy for people's practice, so happy that you have this opportunity to practice, so happy that you have this place to practice in. I don't know if it was because I watched the news last night, and you know, it wasn't a horrific tragedy in the world, but it was the news, and the news is shocking, and it You know, I know on long retreats you can lose sight of why it is, what you're doing here. Um, And maybe the remedy, if when doubt arises, is to have somebody watch the news. (laughs) Either watch the news or go to a party. (laughs) I'm sure it would put it all in perspective again. But, um, you know, and as I listen to people, you know, we all, we still have a ways to go. But I also, can we delight in just being on the path? the joy of being on the path. So, just my deep, heartfelt thanks to you. Tonight, um, we'll be concluding this exploration of the five aggregates of clinging. Well, actually, that's not quite the right way to say that because the exploration will continue. Um, so it will be what we continue with for however long it takes to free the mind. But uh, I'll cease speaking about in this form, although what we're talking about all the time in the teachings is, is this exploration of how we get caught in suffering. Um, how we experience deep anxiety, stress, fear, contraction of heart, identification with our experience that keeps us feeling separate, apart, that keeps us in pain. We have a few new people this week, so I'll just review um, really quickly what the five aggregates are And if you want to find out more about the other aggregates that happened before you came, they're in the library. But the five aggregates of clinging, and this is really what the Buddha called kind of the shorthand for suffering, Um, these five aggregates being that of material form, whether it's internal or external, uh, being the feeling tone of experience or Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality that we uh, experience with each arising phenomena. And then last week I talked about perception, which is the faculty of mind that can uh, identify, that can name, label our experience. And tonight I'm going to be speaking about volitional formations and consciousness. So beginning with volitional formations. The Pali word for volitional formations is sankara. And when I was doing my research, I discovered that there's a lot of uh, 
mystery around this word sankara and a lot of debate of which wouldn't, this wouldn't be the appropriate place to talk about. So we're going to keep it simple tonight. Um, and there's kind of two meanings that are worth knowing about in relation to the five aggregates. Uh, in brief, we can say that sankaras can be interpreted as both the conditioned formations that are a result of past action or past karma and the conditioning formations that affect uh, karma in the present. And so when we're talking, when I'm saying um, being uh, sankaras as meaning uh, things that are conditioned as a result of past karma. And examples of this are um, movements that we experience as a result of thoughts. Um, the body, you know, when we're born, this is a result of past karma. When we eat certain foods and our bodies react, this is a resultant karma. I mentioned earlier on um, in a previous talk about how Vedana or the feeling tone of experience is a resultant karma where um, whether we experience it to be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral is as a result of prior experiences. But the way that Sankara is related to when we speak about the five aggregates is in that which conditions through volitional formations or mental activities that produce karma. We could say it's that which brings about physical, vocal, or mental activities or activities of body, speech, and mind. The other aggregates are not able to cause action. For example, there's this body, but the body cannot move without the volition to do so. There's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences but these do not affect change. Perception can only recognize objects, and consciousness simply knows experience. Volitional formations, on the other hand, rely on the other aggregates to make action possible. We find that any time that there is an action, it is preceded by a volitional formation. Before we speak, there is an urge to do so. Before we move, there is an urge to do so. Before we eat, there is an urge to do so. These volitional formations or conditioning agents in the mind can be very subtle. It's this willing aspect in the mind. 
a gathering of energy that initiates action. We will find it in all our actions prior to the action, the changing of any posture. Often when we're very still in our practice, even before we think, there can be this foolishness, this impulse, this collection of energy that arises and then boom, something happens. It's something to pay attention to in our practice. We will see it in many different ways. If we're not familiar with paying attention to intention or volition, to begin with the bigger movements that we do. Now, before we take a step, is there an intention to step? Before we reach, is there an intention to reach? Before we chew our food, is there an intention to chew? And, you know, sometimes we, um, if we, the mind is too stirred up, we won't see it, we won't be aware of it. But if we can pause before there is an action, maybe we'll notice this energetic collection of energy, uh, or sometimes it's known through a thought to do, a thought about doing. When we don't pay attention to these volitions arising in the mind, what happens is that the sense of I, once again, becomes strong. I am deciding. I am going. I am doing whatever it is that we do. Even in our practice, if we make an intention to note, there can come the sense, I am noting. This is kind of a tricky aggregate, um, but one that's very worth paying attention to. What we notice is that often there's stimulus through any of the sense doors, and then in relation to that stimulus, there can be an urge to affect change, to do something. We'll find when we pay attention that some of those intentions will come to fruition. Some of them will simply arise in the mind, won't have much strength, and will disappear. An example of that could be uh, maybe we're engaged in conversation and the other person is speaking, raving on about something. And then there's an impulse to say something. But we can see there's a lot of momentum in what they're saying, and we don't want to interrupt. So the intention subsides. And then, again, the, the impulse, the want to say something, arises again. But then they're still raving on. And so the intention disappears. And then as we're listening even more, then maybe there's the recognition in the mind that what we're, we're going to say was really unskillful, could cause harm and pain and the intention totally subsides. Or 
Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we say something. But it's really an important piece because this aggregate has such a strong effect on what comes to be in the future because it is this conditioning agent. The Buddha said that there are six kinds of intentions or causes of actions. Three of them are unskillful. They're based on greed, hatred, and delusion. Anything that's born out of unskillful states, such as envy, jealousy, covetousness, lust, fear, anxiety, anger, or ignorance. These will bring about suffering, hatred, delusion. Or three skillful intentions, those being uh, based on non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion, arising from states such as generosity, kindness, compassion, peace, and wisdom. Will, volition, or intention is the basis of all action. It's where we're planting these karmic seeds. And by noticing our intentions, we see more clearly this law of cause and effect and the relationship between mind and body. Intentions bring about results. When we become aware of them, we can make wise choices. We can do or say things that are harmful or hurtful, or we can do and say things that are harmonizing, create peace, help to alleviate suffering. We can see that this conditioning agent can reinforce old patterns, habits of mind, or it can be the cause to affect change, to uh, bring in skillful ways of relating to our experience. This is from the words of my perfect teacher by Petro Rinpoche. Do not take lightly small misdeeds, believing they can do no harm. Even a tiny spark of fire can set alight a mountain of hay. Do not take lightly small good deeds, believing they can hardly help. For drops of water, one by one, fill a bucket. These volitional formations are all tiny sparks that can either do good or cause harmful actions. In speaking of volitional formations, it's helpful to understand that these sankharas include thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states. All of these mind states will affect our body, speech, and mind. A mind filled with loving-kindness will have an effect. The loving-kindness may be felt by others in our speech. It may be experienced by a lightness and ease in our body. 
contributes to a peaceful mind. A mind filled with hatred will also have an effect. It affects the body in tightness, contraction. It can affect our words to be coarse, harmful, hurtful. It can affect our minds to be agitated. When we pay attention to volitional formations, it really helps us to understand the selfless nature of the mind-body process. Not being aware of our intentions, we easily build a sense of self around the intentions. I moved my foot. I lifted my arm. But when we're aware of these intentions, we see them arising in our minds in just the same way we see thoughts arising in our minds. And you know, many times people report how bizarre thoughts can be, how they come out of the blue. And we can see that these intentions arise in just the same way. You know, not always being so easy to see the conditions out of which those intentions arise, but that they do simply arise. And it's not I that makes them arise. Similar to when we were looking at perception, we can see that there's very necessary functions that volitional formations um, have. That, you know, they a lot around just having this body, mind, and caring for it. Uh, that, you know, the, the necessity of taking care comes out of, or the ability to do that comes out of these volitional formations. Um, but there's also ways that we run into trouble with this aggregate. And so how are some of these ways that we experience the oppression of this aggregate? When we look at desire, when we're continually wanting something, how does this feel? Does it get exhausting? Does it get tiring? Do we just wish that this would go away? Or do we so badly wish we could have the object of our desire? Is this oppressive? What about when we do something that is painful to another being, hurtful or harmful? How do we feel then? How do we feel then about these actions? Is it oppressing, painful, unsatisfactory? Can we control these volitional formations, this intention, this urge to do? Can we have control over all of our actions? We could just look to our practice to see, 
if we sit down with the intention to be mindful, to be mindful through a whole sitting, can we control that? No. It could be that we, you know, as we plant seeds of mindfulness, it helps to condition more moments of mindfulness in the future. But it may be that we have also planted in the past uh, unwholesome seeds of anger, delusion. And so some of those hearty seeds may sprout, even though we may have a strong intention to be mindful. It could be that we're planting uh, seeds of metta or loving-kindness over and over again. And even in the midst of the practice, something may happen, and it triggers something in it, triggers a, a response of anger and aversion. We couldn't control uh, the intention in that moment. These volitional formations have an oppressive nature to them, uncontrollable, ungovernable, unsatisfactory. These formations can be likened to the weather. And we can see that the weather um, is many conditions coming together, out of which rain falls, or the sun shines, or the wind blows, or rainbows appear. They come together in a mixture out of which we know we have no control over. We can't govern. Our intentions are these conditions of seeds from the past coming together. Many times we're not so aware of these intentions. It's almost as if they're unconscious in us. And just watching as you sit, how many times have you not noticed the intention to move and suddenly found that you've already moved? In our daily lives, how many times have we jumped up to do something, not even being aware that there will be this jumping up, this moving forward? not aware of these volitions. But these volitions happen when conditions come together in a certain way. These conditions have a powerful effect in our lives, very worthy of our investigation. Because they are, are also where we can plant these seeds, planting seeds of mindfulness, planting seeds of loving-kindness, planting seeds of compassion, joy.
the Buddha's simile for Sankara. Now suppose that a man desiring heartwood, in quest of heartwood, seeking heartwood, were to go into a forest carrying a sharp axe. There he would see a large banana tree, straight, young, of enormous height. He he would cut it at the root, and having cut it at the root, would chop off the top. Having chopped off the top, he would peel away the outer uh, skin. Peeling away the outer skin, he would even find sapwood, to say nothing of heartwood. Then a man with good eyesight would see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. To them, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a banana tree? In the same way, a monk sees, observes, and appropriately examines any fabrications that are past, present, or future, or, or internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near. To him seeing them, observing them, and appropriately examining them, they would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in fabrications? The peeling away of these fabrications seeing the insubstantial nature of these fabrications. In the scene of this conditioning agent of mind, there's said to be 50 uh, mental states that can affect the, the volitional formations. And these all arise out of conditions, are insubstantial in nature, impermanent, and thus not fit to be called, this I am, this is mine, this is myself. The next and the last aggregate being that of consciousness, or vijnana. Consciousness is actually the subject of much debate, speculation, uh, you know, all through time. We have found this in the scientific world today, great exploration happening around what consciousness is. And probably in whatever way we may come for ourselves to define it, it is still a great mystery. It is probably the greatest wonder of the world. Consciousness being that which knows. And that this in itself is totally wondrous and amazing. As it's related to in the five aggregates, it's that which is the bare cognition of the object or knowing quality that is supported by the other three mental aggregates of feeling, perception, and volitional formations. The Buddha, uh, on numerous occasions, said, apart from conditions, there is no arising of consciousness. 
consciousness needs an object or activity at one of the sense doors to arise. And um, it, again, is a place where uh, we misperceive, where we often think that I am one who sees, I am the one who hears, smells, tastes, or touches, or we think I am knowing. In hearing, consciousness brings together the object that um, is heard with the sense door of the the ear, and it connects the two through knowing. It can be likened to an ignition quality, um, similar to if we have a match or a flint and strike it against an object between the match and the uh, striking surface, there is an ignition that happens. And this is the uh, consciousness functions as this ignition quality that sparks into knowing. This uh, knowing quality is what defines us as sentient beings. In a moment of seeing, it's to know seeing. In a moment of hearing, to know hearing. In a moment of tasting, to know tasting. In a moment of touching, to know touching. It's the verb, the act of seeing. Hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, knowing. When we connect with in our, in our practice, we can sometimes have the sense as if dropping into being, where we're not caught in the subject-object relationship. Consciousness, through all of its wonders and great function that it provides, can be taken through this same series as we've done with all the aggregates of looking into how it's oppressive, unsatisfactory, impermanent, and not-self. It's oppressive in the way that uh, many objects of consciousness are unpleasant and unagreeable. And we cannot limit our consciousness to that which is agreeable. Therefore, it's uncontrollable, not amenable to our will, and is ungovernable. Consciousness arises with whatever objects arise, and this is due to past conditions, past karma, And with close examinations, we will see consciousness arising and passing away. In one moment, there can be consciousness of seeing. In the next moment, consciousness of hearing. 
in the next moment consciousness of touching. As we move from seeing, the consciousness of seeing disappears, and then there's the consciousness of hearing that arises, and then that disappears as the consciousness of touching arises. It's not always so easy to see this because of the illusion of continuity, that we need to examine our experience very closely and with non-interference to simply see the way things are. The Buddha once likened this arising and passing away of consciousness um, (laughs) to a monkey going through a forest and catches hold of one uh, branch and then has to, in, in reaching out for the next branch, has to let go of the branch that he was just clinging to or holding on to. And that... Uh, consciousness rises and passes away as it moves from object to object. A key to the understanding of the not-self aspect of consciousness is the understanding of the conditionality. This is from the Buddha. Bhikkhus, Consciousness is reckoned by the condition dependent upon which it arises. If consciousness arises on account of I and forms, it is reckoned as I consciousness. If on account of ear and sound it arises, it is reckoned as ear consciousness. If on account of nose and smells it arises, it is reckoned as nose consciousness. If on account of tongue and taste it arises, it is reckoned as tongue consciousness. If on account of body and touch it arises, it is reckoned as body consciousness. If on account of mind and mind objects it arises, it is reckoned as mind consciousness. Bhikkhus, just as a fire is reckoned based on whatever that fire burns, fire ablaze on sticks is a stick fire. Fire ablaze on twigs is a twig fire. Fire ablaze on grass is a grass fire. Fire ablaze on cow dung is cow dung fire. Fire ablaze on grain thrash is a grain thrash fire. Fire ablaze on rubbish is a rubbish fire. So too is consciousness reckoned by the condition dependent upon which it arises. Our our consciousness being conditioned by experiences through the sense doors. And this is the Buddha's simile for um, consciousness. Now suppose that a magician or magician's apprentice were to display a magic trick at a major intersection and a man with good eyesight were to see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. 
To him, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a magic trick? In the same way, a monk sees, observes, and appropriately examines any consciousness that is past, future, or present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near. To him, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in consciousness? We experience these moments of cognition, and then, not through seeing clearly, we identify with these moments in a way that creates the illusion of self. I am seeing, I am hearing, I am thinking. And then we believe this illusion to be true. I'd like to add that as we go through these aggregates, it can at times seem a bit like splitting hairs to know where one begins and where the next one ends. The Buddha actually said of feeling, perception, and consciousness that they are conjoined and not disjoined, and that it is impossible to separate each of these states from the others in order to describe the difference between them for what one feels, that one perceives, and what one perceives, one cognizes. To remember that these aggregates are our experience, the makeup of our experience, of what we're calling self. And so not to get too finicky about what's consciousness, what's perception, what's volitional formations, Now, these are words that can help point to our experience, can help point to understanding the ways that we get fooled by our experiences. Ajahn Mahaboa, who is a famous Thai forest master, said of the five aggregates. What is there in the elements and the aggregates? Analyze them down into their parts, body, feelings, perceptions, formations, and consciousness, until you have removed your doubts about any one of them. For example, when you investigate the body, an understanding of feeling automatically follows. Or when you investigate feelings, this leads straight to the body, to perception, formations, and consciousness, which have the same sorts of characteristics because they come from the same current of the mind. To put it briefly, the Buddha taught that each of the five aggregates are a complete treasury or a complete heap of the three characteristics. What do they have that's worth holding on to? 
The physical elements, the physical heap, all physical forms are simply heaps of the elements. Feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness are all mere mental phenomena. They appear, blip, 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 and disappear in an instant. What value or substance can you get from them? Discernment penetrates further and further in. It knows the truth, which goes straight to the heart, and lets go with that straight-to-the-heart knowledge. In other words, it lets go straight from the heart. When the knowledge goes straight to the heart, it lets go straight from the heart. Our job narrows in, narrows in, as the work, work of discernment dictates. We're narrowing in on these experiences of body and mind to see them just as they are. Through this exploration of the five aggregates, we take these experiences which we so often think belong to us, are our great treasures, are what we own. And we bring mindfulness to each of these aggregates and see them in their arising and passing away. See them, how they're arising out of conditions and passing away, constantly changing. We see how these conditions are very much like the flowing of a river, a river that is never the same for two seconds in a row, that the flow is ungovernable, ever-changing, and insubstantial in its nature. like to share this quote from the Buddha. Form is like a glob of foam, feeling a bubble, perception a mirage, fabrications a banana tree, consciousness a magic trick. This has been taught by the kinsmen of the sun. However you observe them, appropriately examine them. They're empty, void, to whoever whoever sees them appropriately, beginning with the body as taught by the one with profound discernment, when abandoned by three things, life, warmth, and consciousness, form is rejected, cast aside. When bereft of these, it lies thrown away, senseless, a meal for others. That's the way it goes. It's a magic trick, an idiot's babbling, It's said to be a murderer. No substance here is found. Thus, a monk, persistent, aroused, should view the aggregates by day and by night, mindful, alert, should discard all fetters, should make themselves their own refuge, should live as if one's head were on fire, in hopes of the state, with no falling away. 
I'd like to end tonight with once again doing a short guided sitting to take a look at volitional formations and consciousness in our experience. And even as we begin to shift into a posture for sitting, to notice if we can see an intention to move, an intention to sit. There may even be a series of intentions. We keep shifting the body posture until the intention ceases to be. And then letting the mind settle into an open, relaxed, spacious awareness. Even in this, is there an intention? Intention to let go of holding, tightening. An intention to be mindful, present, alert, awake. Noticing the state of the mind. Are any of the hindrances present? Aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, desire, doubt. How does this affect the experience? Anger, aversion is present. So thoughts of aversion. If aversion is present, is it reflected in the body? What happens as you bring mindfulness to the experience. Does this have an effect? If you find that you're lost in thought, does there suddenly arise an intention to be mindful? Can you control these volitional formations? Can you choose to be mindful moment after moment? 
Can you choose to have a mind filled with loving-kindness? Or are these formations subject to conditions, changing conditions? Do these formations arise and pass away again? Is there substance? Are these formations who you really are? Turning to consciousness. When hears a sound, it hits the ear door. And ear consciousness arises. Then the sound disappears. Did the ear consciousness disappear? Becoming aware of the sensation of touching. Letting the mind rest in the knowing of this experience. The verb, touching. Consciousness changing, dependent upon the objects arising through the sense doors. Hearing, resting in the knowing of hearing. The ignition, the spark between subject and object simply knowing.
in our practice, we can explore all of these five aggregates. Material form, feeling tone, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. Arising and passing away. Looking deeper than the illusion of self. Looking into this experience of mind and body. From the Buddha, what do you think? Our material form, feelings, perceptions, formations, and consciousness Consciousness permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, Venerable Sir, is what is impermanent, suffering, or happiness. Suffering, Venerable Sir, is what is impermanent, suffering, and subject to change, fit to be regarded thus. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, Venerable Sir, Therefore, bhikkhus, any kind of material form, feelings, perceptions, formations, or consciousness, whether past, future, or present, internal, external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine, this I am not, This is not myself. To remember the Buddha said, Ehi Pasiko means come and see. Come and see for ourselves. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself, to dispel delusion, to see clearly, and to rest at peace.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.